Welcome to Buy, Sell, Hold, the sports car market podcast. Market experts and car friends for over 30 years, Keith Martin and Mark Green have come together through their mutual love for collector cars. Keith and Mark will take you on a ride into the collector car market, talking with industry experts, helping you navigate your collector car journey so that you know when to make your own decisions to buy, sell, or hold. Hey, I'm Mark Green from the Cars Yeah! podcast. And I'm Keith Martin from Sports Car Market Magazine. Welcome to Buy, Sell, Hold, what we like to call the essence of collecting. And this is show number 18. So, Keith, uh, let's jump right into what we've been calling kind of market moments. Now, I know throughout most of your life, you've been pretty much an alpha guy, which is pretty much a four-cylinder kind of guy. But I realized, or I learned, that you have something new in your garage that has three times that. What is going on with you? Well, I'm evolving. <laughs> Isn't that <laughs> and, a good thing? <laughs> and and more is better, don't you think? Oh, well, in many cases with horsepower and braking power and money and yeah, all that is good. So I was looking, I'm always looking for the, the price point in today's market where you get the most value for the dollar you spend. This summer's uh, Sports Car Market 1000, our tour, which is sold out, uh, is featuring British cars. I don't happen to have a British car. And I'm also looking to be uh, driving an automatic because my leg is still uh, being strengthened. So I started poking around and poking around. And I found I landed on Jaguar Coupes V12. Beautiful. Most of them were automatics. Uh, Their prices are very reasonable because they're a coupe and an automatic. And, And so I then they have AC that works. Uh, and I, I found one on Bring a Trailer uh, from a 96-year-old gentleman in Georgia. He bought it when he was 80 because he had a hip replacement and couldn't drive a stick anymore. Okay, here we go. <laughs> he, he and his son are both mechanical engineers. Now, see, I've always felt that buying a car from a mechanical engineer is much better than buying one from somebody who's in waste disposal, for instance. <laughs> yeah, most of the time, right? I think, yeah. And so it was, uh, I bid on the car. I paid 37500 for it, which is you know recorded on Bring a Trailer, which I thought was a deal, a deal for a 12-cylinder car. It's got 22,000 original miles. Wow. And part of the way I verified those miles is I looked in our own Platinum database, and it showed a listing for this car maybe 10 or 12 years ago at Cruz Auburn, and it had 16,000 miles on it. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. It's primrose with tan. I think it's a reasonable price. It gives me an automatic for my uh, and a British car to drive on my tour. And it's a new experience. Like we've talked before, each car has its own tribe. Now that I've landed on Jaguar, uh, the tribes the are feuding internally. <laughs> the open top Jaguar uh, subsector of the tribe is telling me what an idiot I am for buying a closed car. The four speed Subsector tribe is are, is telling me how stupid I am for buying an automatic, and, and I watch these flaming arrows go back and forth over my head from tribe to tribe, and it's entertaining. Yeah, you know, I think this is cool, and uh, you're into a whole new realm now. The Jaguar, of course, you have to learn how to say Jaguar right now since you're exactly. part of the tribe, right? Exactly. The Jaguar with a little upper crust with your chin a little stiff. Uh, the Jaguar is the car, and the coupe is the car that started it for me. My dad bought me a a red matchbox uh, Jaguar coupe when I was a little kid. I still have it sitting here on my desk uh, all the way back from then. I think it's really exciting that you ventured outside of this Italian realm. It's a good uh, representation. And as I recall, 
In fact, when you bought that, you sent me a text the day and you said, look what I quote unquote accidentally bought. Uh, bring a trailer it can do that for us, right? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a mistake, you know. Oops. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, did I just bid on that? Oh, I didn't realize that. I raised my paddle. I'm sorry. How did That's that okay. happen? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, you know, this is fun. And I know for all you listeners out there, if you don't follow Keith on, on uh, social media, he's very active. Uh, join him on Facebook. He's always talking cars and travels and showing pictures with he and Bradley and his daughter, Alex, and all the fun they're having. No doubt by the time this show airs, you will have seen a lot about this beautiful Prim- Primrose car. I think is fabulous. Congratulations, kudos to you for stretching your wings a little bit here. Thank you very much. And it's easier to have one 12-cylinder car than to have three four-cylinder cars. Now, there is a quote I'm going to write down and remember from Keith Martin, his first car market. We'll be back in a minute to talk with a very special guest who is really the king in his marketplace here. Uh, his name happens to be McKeel. I think you know who we're talking about. We'll be right back. But first, a very cool offer from our friends. At Sports Car Market, the team there that uh, Keith has put together, you'll want to hear this. We'll be right back. Mark Green here. I have subscribed to Sports Car Market Magazine for decades. While I've dropped most of my other car magazine subscriptions, Sports Car Market is the one I'll never let go. It's a hold. Getting it monthly in my mailbox brings a huge smile to my face. Sports Car Market Magazine is filled with great articles and market updates on collector car values. It's a virtual treasure trove of value. Even the advertisements are fun to watch. Boy, I've got a deal for you. You're going to get $10 off your print subscription simply by using the code BSH on their website. Go to sportscarmarket.com slash BSH, use the code BSH, and get 10 bucks off your print subscription of Sports Car Market Magazine. That's a deal. That's code BSH at sportscarmarket.com slash BSH and get $10 off your print subscription today. Well, Mark, we're back. Tell us, who's our guest today? Well, today we have somebody pretty special here, uh, a guy I've known for a long, long time, really admire what he's built. McKeel Haggerty is our guest on Buy, Sell, Hold. McKeel Haggerty is the CEO and driving force behind Haggerty, the world's largest membership, insurance, and media organization for enthusiast vehicle owners. He is an in-demand speaker on leadership and business success and a trusted automotive voice for major print and broadcast media. McKeel is the former board member for YPO, a global leadership community of 28,000 chief executives around the world who are driven by the belief that the world needs better leaders and that business can be a force for good. So McKeel, welcome to Buy, Sell, Hold. How are you doing today? I'm great. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you both. Well, Mikhail, we're going to jump right in. If you were to describe today's market and use just one word, what would that word be and why would you choose it? Cautious. I think there's there's always a lot of focus, as you know so well, Keith, on the very high end of the market. Uh, who doesn't want to focus on that stuff? It, it's it's fun to look at. It's fun fun to dream about. Um, it's It's very evident that the top end of the market, you know, cars that are Certainly, you know, mid to high six figures, if not multi-million dollar cars are, you know, that's been a very flat space for, for, for several years now. And it, and it continues. Doesn't mean the best of the best doesn't sell and there isn't strong interest in it, but people are just cautious. And I think some of it is for people who are holding those cars, 
they're maybe still expecting the markets to go up for people interested in buying. Uh, they don't want to be made a fool. And I think the social currency of cars, even though you pay for them with hard-earned dollars, if you're the one that was known to sort of dramatically overpay for something uh, in the uh, fury of an auction moment, it doesn't feel very good. So it's not just about dollars and cents. It's about uh, understanding the ego effect of the decisions you make. So I'd say cautious at the top end, but there's a lot of excitement at the bottom end. So it's, it's an, a very uh, ambiguous market in that way, you know, tell, uh, ambivalent, us, market, I guess I would say. Tell us, Wakil, about the excitement at the bottom end. What do you mean by that? Well, I, I think that everybody knows that there are categories of cars that are either kind of permanently great investment grade cars and, and wouldn't it be great to have one, but who wouldn't want the right, 250 short wheelbase Ferrari. I mean, it's a, they're wonderful, beautiful cars and they fit anywhere and boy, they make you look cool, but not everybody can afford them. And so, you know, so much of what certainly you know, we've reported in our valuation tools, you know, you've written a lot about Keith and in your stuff. And, and we've all talked about is that, uh, you know, those are the best ones. Everybody has their attention on them. And we talk about these entry points, the, you know, the new ways that people are excited to get into them, whether it's, you know, lower valued uh, trucks and early off-road vehicles, whether it's, uh, you know, some of the Japanese cars that were really overlooked for a long time or, or other lesser, you know, newer vehicles. But eventually, you know what, the next generation, the people coming up who don't have millions to spend, but maybe have, you know, thousands to spend, they want to play too. And they finally, I think, just decided I'm coming in. I'm coming into the market. I'm going to buy stuff that I can afford and have fun with. I'll play with it as long as I can. If I make a little bit more, I'll buy the next vehicle up the chain for me. But they're not going to just wait for somebody to bless those cars for them. And they're just having fun. That's what I like seeing. So, you know, the, the greatest gains in the car market are all in these cars, you know, certainly under $25,000. So that's exciting. It's fun. That's the market in general, McKeel. Today, we're going to talk about three cars in your life, uh, a memorable buy, a, a sell that was maybe regretful, and a car that you'll never let go of. Let's start with the buy. Tell us about a car that you found, that you chased, that you had to have, and the story behind finally acquiring it. I'm going to remove the idea of my very first car, because that one always through, it runs through so many of these categories, which is my 67 Porsche 911 S that I bought when I was 13 years old and I would never part with. So let's set that aside. I like to play in the car world and I'm interested in cars and there's stuff that I've chased and stuff that I've sold and, and some things that I would never sell. So I was after an Aston Martin DB4 uh, for a long time. Um, and I think it's, it's my inner James Bond liking the shape of the, you know, DB4 or five. And, you know, that was for me, that's kind of what I was dreamed of having one, not without even ever driving one, without even, even talking to that many people. But I also knew that, you know, a lot, so many of those vehicles were kind of going up and up and up in value. And so uh, I think, I don't know, six, seven years ago, I finally was able to acquire one, one that was in need of complete, uh, restoration and went through very, very painful, yucky restoration process. And, uh, fortunately I ended up having to, or unfortunately I was happy. I had to restore the car twice, uh, for reasons I can describe if you're interested. Um, and the only saving grace is thankfully the DB4, uh, this is a 1960 DB4 series two. Um, there was a car originally you know, delivered new to San Francisco and lived its whole life in California. Thrilled to have it. 
Um, but boy, it was painful. Almost every step of it was painful to get. Um, but I will. I love that car. Well, tell, McKeel, tell us about it. Why did you have to restore the car twice? Well, um, it was, you know, what I found, I, I, I learned my lesson through this process is that, you know, I was, I was trying to find a deal. You know, I was not trying to go, you know, straight at a restored vehicle or really well-known car. I was trying to find something that I could make a great buy on. You know, I'm not going to name for just the I don't need a name on the on this podcast, but in California, who is one of these very uh, he was a restorer, very connected in the kind of older part of the California car world. He knew where stuff was stashed away in garages just waiting to be restored, but that the owners weren't ready to sell them. And his business model was to say, I'll help you get the car, but you have to agree in advance to let me do the restoration. And he had a pretty good reputation for restoring things. He had a lot of cool stuff in his shop. I went and looked at the quality of his work. I was satisfied with all of that. So I went went ahead and bought the car, started restoring it. And it was a little bit like you hear some of these, you know, bad examples of trying to build a vacation home remotely is that I was sending the money for the restoration and the work was slowing down and sending the money for the restoration for, and the work was slowing down. Eventually the guy gets arrested and sentenced to go to prison yeah, for 18 months. And his shop during the process was seized by the LA police department and they brought, they brought evidence vans out there and they jumbled six or seven unrestored cars and all the parts together. It was just, it was terrible. Uh, some kind of money guns and lawyers to get all the bits and parts that we could identify back. But as you know, a car is never more vulnerable, I think, than when it's disassembled on the shelves of a disreputable restoration shop. Right. And you just lose stuff because I mean, you can think you know a car really well, and I didn't know this car as perfectly as I did others. Like, could you really identify the rearview mirror between that and an Alpha or something else between it? No, it's really hard to tell. But try to replace one. They're really expensive. So I lost things like the AM radio. And those are, I mean, it doesn't sound like much, but it's on the original build sheet. It's one of the two, there are only two options on an Aston Martin DB4 from that era. And one is the AM radio. So I had to have one, but they're $10,000 to find one. (laughs) You know, these are not inexpensive cars to restore. So fortunately, the engine block was out being machined and the body had just left to go have some work done on it. And so I have a, you know, I was able to have a numbers matching vehicle, but I lost lots of parts. Um, so the restoration started completely over at the hands of, you know, Kevin Kay. And um, I have a beautiful, beautiful db4 now now oh you did it the tough way that's for sure oh, oh, oh yeah gosh oh that's terrible well let's let's talk about a significant vehicle that you've owned and you have sold a car that perhaps uh you weren't sure you're going to let go but you did we want to know a couple things how did you decide on selling it why are you sorry you let the car go and do you ever think that maybe i should have kept it? well it, it's kind of funny so i had one of the 54 kaiser darren's um, and it was, it was a little bit of a bet. I've always kind of liked those odd duck cars from that era. I like fiberglass body cars. I, you know, I don't, I like cars from all eras. I, I kind of put myself into that era. I think about what's unusual about them. And I just kind of thought, you know, that's going to be a car that's going to take off. And as quirky as they are and kind of in their weird colors, it's a, you know, it was an, they're eye poppers. You know, of course your tastes change. And now I look at them and I'm not sure I think they're that attractive. Um, but as we got into it and you realize, I mean, they, it wasn't one of the rare supercharged ones like I just saw in Amelia. It wasn't that great. And um, so, you know, just decided that 
this was a car not only that wasn't going to increase in value, it wasn't getting any prettier under my ownership. It just wasn't ever going to become a better car in my eyes. Uh, so I, I let it go. Those are interesting cars for sure. Um, Kaiser Darren, you know, I always look at you, Keith, as a guy who's, I'll use the word dapper because you always look so smart. You always surprise me with the cars that you end up with. I guess it was, uh, was it last year, a year before, all of a sudden you show up at Pebble Beach with a, an old Cadillac. I'm like, what? I mean, <laughs> but it seems like you like to, you, to experience these unique things. So is it a vehicle that you wish you had back? Or are you kind of feeling like, okay, I've been there, done that, time to move on? Well, um, now I, I think, although I did see one of the supercharged ones down at Amelia this past, uh, this, you know, past, uh, season. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe it wasn't such a bad car and in the right condition, maybe it would have been one to hang on to if, if you had unlimited storage and, you know, didn't want to buy other things. But I like experimenting with different things. You mentioned the 31 Cadillac V16. I, I, I love big cylinder count cars from that era. Uh, there's an elegance to them. They're not that fun to drive, but they're fun to experience. And like the Cadillac 16 uh, is one that, you know, it's, it's an expensive car. It's kind of difficult to run. There are just complications with that particular year and not very many people here and even in my organization can use it. So that's like one I think about, well, gee, is was that kind of one of those three or four or five year cars? And I just kind of move it down the road. But I like experimenting with different things and, and getting the feel for it. Like, is there a place for this to live in my life and to have it around where some period of time each year, I'd want to take it out and drive it and just experience that. And I kind of think about my, and we'll get in maybe to this a little bit later with the cars that I've been able to acquire. And we have even around Haggerty is I want to preserve the muscle memory of operating, owning, and driving some of these cars from different eras that may not be the most attractive or the easiest or the fastest. Because, you know, if we don't and we don't keep them out there, uh, it'll just become increasingly difficult for the next generation to own, to just operate them. Yeah. And uh, and I want to keep that muscle memory going. Well, we appreciate it. And you do that very, very well. Um, and, and I'll tell you, seeing you drive that in the tour, uh, that 31 Caddy, um, I mean, you look like you're very happy. You had a very big smile on your face. So kudos to you for doing that. We're going to take a short break. Uh, we have a little special offer for you listeners from team at Sports Car Market Magazine. Hang on and we'll be right back. I've been subscribing to Sports Car Market Magazine for decades and it shows up like clockwork in my mailbox every month. But what about when I'm on the road? Did you know that digital subscriptions to Sports Car Market are just $2.50 a month when you sign up with the promo code DIGITAL50? That's less than a cup of coffee. You get 50% off regular price just for listening here to buy, sell, hold. Plus, digital subscribers receive instant access to a year's worth of back issues and the exclusive Insider's Guide, including the 2020 Insider's Guide to the beautiful Amelia Island Concourse and all the spring auctions as well. No more boredom while sitting at the airport or on your flight. To get your Sports Car Market digital subscription at this discount, go to sportscarmarket.com slash digital50. Your order will automatically get you the 50% off. What a deal. Go and sign up today at sportscarmarket.com slash digital50. All right, Mikhail, we are back. Now, we're going to remove the Porsche from this question because it is you. It is part of you. It's a car that will never go away. So it's a little too obvious. But I want to ask you about a vehicle you'll never let go. Is there another one in your life 
And why would you never let that car go? And what does it mean to you? And let's take it one step further. Is there maybe a price you might let it go by? You don't have to name a number, but is there a number? Because, you know, there's always a time for everything. Well, um, yeah, thanks. I, I would say that, you know, 67 911S air-cooled Porsches, I'd hang on to them. Uh, that would be a, just a general market recommendation. But we'll set that aside. Uh, I'm, I'm torn on this one. You know, one is one that I acquired and one is very tied to my dad. So it's the one is that I acquired as a 67 Shelby GT500. And the other one is this Ford Dunesmobile, which was kind of, even though I bought it, it was a car my dad drove when he was a teenager. And it was the last car that we ever stood next to each other and had words uh, together, uh, you know, like talk to each other um, about how cool it was. It, literally, he passed away a couple days later. It was the last thing he ever said to me is, thanks for buying it. But set the dunes must be aside. The, the Shelby is kind of a fun story because it was kind of one of these local barn find, garage find things that, you know, you all sort of hope for. And um, I, you know, I live in northern Michigan, a uh, fairly small town. And in an even smaller town north of here, I caught wind of the fact that there might be a GT500 sitting in a garage and, you know, that I was going to get the first look at it. And so, as we all know, what do you do? You put on your coat and you get in the car and you go. And so, went out there and sure enough was this classic scene of the dusty gt500 sitting there it was actually not it was moldy which was really weird but just had this mold all over it inside and out but what was interesting about it is that the challenge with buying shelby's is you know you got to have them verified by the shelby register so there's that uncomfortable moment where you have to kind of get to the with the mustang bodied cars you have to Get the, you have to compare the Shelby number with the Ford Shelby number or the Ford chassis number, call the Shelby register and then sit patiently and wait for them to say, yeah, that's a real car before you write the check. So went through that un- uncomfortable process, bought the car. And at the time I knew Carol Shelby a little bit, you know, I made him at car events and he knew me by name. And, but my wife also worked for him, did his PR in LA in the last couple of years of his life. And so like many of us who had Shelby's, I wanted to get the glove box uh, signed by him, you know, like, uh, so, and so I took the glove box cover off, wrapped it in bubble wrap, set it out to soon. And I said, Hey, next time you're in soon is my wife. Next time you're in your weekly PR meeting with Carol, just have him sign it for me. So she's like, sure thing. So you know, a couple of weeks later, the package arrives, I unwrap it. And it didn't say just Carol Shelby. It said to McKeel, Carol Shelby. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And so I, I had this kind of moment like, huh? Okay, Um, because I made a really good deal on the car and I thought, man, this could be one that could just go through the roof. And and while they haven't, like maybe the some of the GT350s have, you know, it's kind of like I think I think I'll be holding on to that one forever (laughs) because it's it's a personalized GT500. Well, you can hang that like I have. uh, I had a 66 GT350 that I had him sign the glove box at Laguna Seca. And when I sold the car, I kept the glove box with his signature. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, it just hangs on the wall. And then I, the guy I bought the car from insisted on having the right glove box. So I found an accurate one because they had a unique glove box on those cars. It was curved a certain way. And I found one and I actually shipped it to him and had him sign it. Uh, I think it, back then he was charging like 20 bucks. It went to his heart foundation and uh, sent it off to the guy and he was thrilled. But uh, yeah, well, interesting story and two very different cars. Uh, now Keith has a very unique question for you about the ultimate collector car. Yeah, Nikhil, we're going to ask you now for the the kind of the all-around 
collector car, not the most expensive, not the most unique, not the fastest, but if you could just have one car that you wanted to take on everything and it was, you know, reasonably reliable and you'd feel good about being in it, what car would that one car be? I am biased, as you know, but I I would go for some year of an air-cooled 911. I really would. I I just think, and it's not just my lifelong bias of owning one of these things for, uh, you know, almost 40 years now, it feels, is that they have kind of all of those elements. They, you know, for one thing, they're they're attractive. They're reason they perform reasonably well. They're actually pretty simple mechanically. Not that difficult for somebody to figure out how to keep them running themselves, even if they're not terribly mechanical. Yes, they were prone to rust. So, but set that aside. And I, I think they. It's really clear that that's a car that's going across. It's crossing the chasm to the next generations as being something cool. And there's no doubt about it. Kind of European and sports cars are. are Still the hottest segments in the car market. I like it. I think it ticks all those boxes. You described the business as uh, the collector car world as cautious when we got started here. Tell us how this cautiousness has affected your business today and your company and influenced your collecting. You know, honestly, you're not seeing as much just crazy, out of line, uh, just almost desperate buying at the top end. So, you know, while that certainly means maybe you're not as adding as many vehicles to people's collections. Um, that's on the insurance side of the house. I actually think it's an easier market to understand because it, it just doesn't feel like kind of a drunken sailor party with so much capital and, and a limited supply. And that's that's really the world we're still in. I mean, setting, you know, kind of big market fluctuations in. There's lots of capital in the world and lots of people selling companies with and have the liquidity to buy these things. But I think they're going in there with that second that second little bit of, you know, if there's that book, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow, people are doing some slow thought and saying, yep, I want it, but I don't want to be a fool. So I like it. I like the rationality of the market today. Yeah, I think it makes sense. You know, Keith, you've built such a juggernaut with your company. I've known you for a long time now, and it just amazes me the different facets. Could you let our listeners know a bit here? And this is a bit of a sales plug for you, but I want to do this because you're not just an insurance company. You guys are so much more. You do so many things for the market. I see you guys at so many events. You support young people. Could you just kind of pitch out there for our listeners that maybe don't know all the facets of McKeel Haggerty's business and your team? And by the way, I've had lots of your team members on the Cars Yeah podcast. They're all phenomenal people. So what are all the pieces to Haggerty? Yeah, it's certainly, you know, that that core business back from the beginning, the, the insurance business, um, you know, protecting people with cool cars. And, and we've kind of drifted into this this nomenclature of the enthusiast vehicle because, um, you know, we all know that you can use car terms for a while and then they kind of either fall into disuse or they actually limit you. Uh, so when you think of all those kind of fun to drive, fun to have cars, we kind of think about it in this enthusiast vehicle space and it, it picks up a lot of the newer cars and race cars and everything else. Um, but the insurance business is still there and it's still going strong. And we've grown that business uh, internationally with operations and certainly all over the US and Canada, UK and Germany. And, and that's fun. But the other side of it is, I would say, kind of broadly speaking, media and entertainment uh, value um, and then our membership programs. And then we have a number of other automotive businesses that support all of it. So our go-to-market strategy is we're a membership organization. So, you know, people who they certainly can buy an insurance policy from us, but the, the real full experience of Haggerty is when you become a member. 
Um, and with that, you get a magazine. Uh, we have a magazine um, that has now um, exceeded the circulation of Road and Track, uh, the Haggerty Drivers Club magazine uh, with an audited circ, and which is pretty cool uh, to think about it. Um, also, you know, all of our media channels that are the kind of typical digital things. I mean, our, our YouTube channel, if you can imagine, you know, we have one point, uh, you know, as of today, uh, 1.2 million subscribers to our, our YouTube channel. And, you know, even things like where we have shows on there, like Barn Find Hunter that Tom Cotter hosts or Redline Rebuilds. It was a silly idea, but we actually have a, a video garage where guys disassemble engines and reassemble them in these in a kind of time lapse way. But it's it sounds strange, but no, it's fine. You know, we, <laughs> uh, yeah, we've had one of them still. I mean, it, like it's over like 30 million views of, of one of them. So it's um, it's kind of crazy. So media and entertainment, we do a lot of events uh, where we create the events and host people at events. And, and those are some are user pay, some are free to members. We also, for example, acquired our first Concour, an ex- pre-existing Concour, which, you know, if it goes on with giving everything in the world, this year we'll be celebrating its 25th anniversary in Greenwich, Connecticut, the Greenwich, Greenwich uh, Concour d'Elegance. And that's just a way for us to activate with our members and experiment with the format of a, of a Concour, which some people really like. Some people think they're kind of getting stodgy. And what can we do to make them maybe more new and vibrant and exciting for the future generation? Because for us, the world doesn't need just a single service provider. It needs a whole ecosystem. It needs information. It needs entertainment. It needs ways for people to gather. And, and so we're going to play in those spaces. Other kind of interesting businesses that we're in that people don't know about, in addition to all of our kind of valuation and marketplace research that we do and, and offer out there through an insight, we call it the Haggerty Insider app, is we have a company called DriveShare, which is, a, think of it as the Airbnb of the collector car world. So people renting their vehicles to each other, um, just like Airbnb rent homes to each other. And that's a really cool business. Um, it's just been kind of replatformed and it's starting to really scale out. It's kind of cool. I, I, it's a company we acquired and folded into our, our ecosystem, but it's, it's kind of fun. I, I didn't think it would work at first. I thought, no way are people going to rent their cars to each other. But then Airbnb did a lot of the work, I think, out there to show that People could learn to trust, you know, strangers uh, to each other if they have enough information. That's a really cool thing. We're in the motorsport space. We have a company called Motorsport Reg that does a lot of the registration for people going to do recreational motorsports events. Doing a lot of things, but it all comes back to this idea that we have a core purpose in our business, and that is to save driving for future generations. If I'm asked anything about the world of cars, it's, will the next generation even care? I think that we're going to have to work hard to make them want to care, but we, our purpose is to save driving and car culture for future generations. And that's why we're doing all these things. So we're having fun at it. It's a lot of work, but we have a great team, almost 1500 people. Well, I commend you for what you guys are doing. And and I really wanted to share all this because uh, maybe there's some folks out there that don't understand all the facets of Haggerty. What you guys are doing is credible. I love going to events and you have your youth groups there that are judging cars. Bringing those young people into the fold, that's how these cars are going to be preserved and cared for in the future. Before we let you go, McKeel, uh, you've taken us on a tremendous ride. Always enjoy talking with you. Is there one little piece of wisdom or guidance you might offer people out there when it comes to buying, holding, or selling a collector vehicle? Well, no matter what, you know, you should buy, uh, buy with your heart and with money that you can afford to spend. 
And I think that's probably advice that many, many of us would, would give. I think, you know, sell when, when you just don't have that burning itch that you feel like you're going to just desperately regret it. Um, I just sold a modern 911 that I've been driving for a number of years. And it's not because I didn't care about it. I actually, there was somebody else I felt could get more enjoyment out of it uh, than I could. So I, as several of the vehicles that I've sold, I just feel that there were better stewards of the car who would enjoy it more than I was showing it. And I think cars need that love. So it kind of connects the idea of buy with your heart. I also think you can sell with your heart when a car needs a little love, let somebody else love it in terms of holding. Um, you know, I, I just believe there are a lot of dimensions to why people like cars, whether it's money or they go fast or, you know, I mentioned a vehicle that's really deeply connected to my dad that I would never sell ever. So, you know, examine all of those dimensions when you're thinking about holding them. And, and yes, it probably means you need more garage space, but, uh, well, you can rent that. There you go. Absolutely. So, so McKeel, I, if I've got a question for you before we jump off here. I, I want to look at the big picture, which you're really good at doing. Let's jump forward 50 years and you look back at Haggerty and what you created. How would you hope that Haggerty had affected the collector car world, the existence of your company? How has it changed the world of collecting? Well, Keith, thanks for asking the question. Um, you know, I think that when people ask that kind of crazy question, will the car go the way of the horse? Well, I think if you could go back 120 years ago, when horses were the primary source of, of public transportation in cities, and we now know they are not today, the automobile became that way. And certainly they're going to become electrified and even automated in big cities. And I'm not threatened by that at all in our space. But I think if you could go back and know that, you'd probably wish you would have made some different sort of investments in the future of horses at the time. And what we want to be thought of 50 years from now, 100 years from now, is the adults in the room back around 2020 that are going to help steward this forward for generations because horses didn't go away. They're still out there. They're multi 50 to $80 billion business in the United States alone. And whether it's horse racing, whether it's dude ranches, whether it's, you know, pony rides, uh, horses didn't go away, but it's more of an enthusiast activity. Cars cars, and driving cars as, as human beings with your hands on the wheel is going to become an enthusiast activity, not in the center of cities. And uh, we want to be you know, viewed as the adults in the room here that uh, help steward that forward decades, uh, decades from now. Well said. I love it. Well, listeners, again, you can find everything we've talked about today on a Sports Car Market Magazine's website, sportscarmarket.com slash podcast, or you can find the show on carsyeah.com. Uh, McKeel, thanks for spending some time out of your busy schedule with us. It's always a delight to talk to you. I'm sure we'll see you at some shows. Can't wait for the, uh, the new ownership you've got of Greenwich show. I'm sure everything's going to be well there. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Grateful to be here and, and, and what a great podcast. Congratulations. Thank you. Hey, Mark Green here. If you love the Buy, Sell, Hold podcast, you'll want to listen to my Cars Yeah podcast, where over five years, I've interviewed over 1,475 inspiring automotive enthusiasts. You'll have free access to my guest shows five days a week. These are amazing people who share their world around cars, trucks, and motorcycles. I take a deep dive into their businesses, and they share with you how they've wrapped their passion for vehicles into their lives. Plus, go to the CarsYeah.com website and hit the free book button, and I'll email you my free filler-up book. It's an ebook filled with beautiful fuel filler fun 
and inspiring quotes from my past guests. Once subscribed, you'll get my weekly blog as well. You can find all the Cars Yeah shows on CarsYeah.com or on any mobile device using your podcast app. Just search for Cars Yeah Podcast and subscribe today. That way you'll get both Buy, Sell, Hold with Keith and me and the Cars Yeah Podcast delivered right to your mobile device or your computer. Thanks for listening. We hope to have shed some light today on the collector car market. You can listen to all the Buy, Sell, Hold podcasts at sportscarmarket.com and carsyeah.com. You'll find hundreds of inspiring automotive enthusiasts on the Cars Yeah website as well. Be sure to log into sportscarmarket.com and subscribe to Keith's SCM weekly newsletter. You'll find digital issues, insider event guides, and price guides, along with our platinum database, column profiles, classifieds, and many other resources. Join Keith and Mark next week to hear from another automotive industry leader who will help you determine when to buy, sell, or hold.